Hey everyone, thanks for tuning into this episode of the Aquademia Podcast. I'm Sean O'Loughlin. I'm Justin Grant. And I'm Maddie Cassidy. And today we got a very cool episode for you. We are doing a seafood innovations episode and we are talking with Chuck Anderson from Certified Quality Foods. He's here to talk to us about the Certified Quality Reader, which is a super cool little device. Super interesting. And I think you guys are really going to like it. But before we get into that, I want to remind everybody to please subscribe to Aquademia wherever you listen so you can get every new episode directly downloaded onto your device as soon as it's available. And we are on Twitter at AquademiaPod. Please locate us and give us a follow. If you're interested in sponsoring the podcast, being a guest, or have content suggestions, visit our online forum located at globalseafood.org slash podcast. And if you enjoyed this episode, then be sure to leave us a rating and review on whichever podcast platform you listen to us on. That's right. I hope you enjoy this episode with Chuck and we will talk to you at the end. Welcome to the Aquademia podcast. Our diet is hurting the environment in myriad ways. We desperately need to eat more seafood. This is a pioneering industry with a whole lot of people who have really good ideas and a lot of experience and are unafraid. Aquademia is your go-to podcast for a fresh take on all things seafood. So we're sitting down with Chuck Anderson, who is the Vice President of Sales and Operations at Certified Quality Foods. How's it going, Chuck? Thanks for joining us. Doing great. How are y'all doing today? Pretty doing good. Well, we um, I had to play a little bit of phone tag with Chuck because he we uh, first got in contact when I was stuck at home and I gave him my office number. So we had a, a little bit of trouble getting together. But now we're here. We're on the show. We got the whole crew, Maddie and Justin, are here with me. We're excited to do a seafood innovations episode on uh, this uh, Certified Quality Reader, which is a... a pretty awesome product that Chuck's going to talk about. But first, Chuck, let's talk about you. Can we get a, a quick little background on you, kind of who you are, where you came from, and how you got to where you are? Sure, absolutely. So my name's Chuck Anderson. I'm the Vice President of Sales and Operations for Certified Quality Foods. Um, and that's a fancy way of saying that uh, I, I'm uh, one of the partners of the, of the company and try to, try to get it off the ground. Um, uh, my background is uh, primarily seafood, but it's it's quite varied. So, and, I, and I've had I've had I've been blessed with the most amazing variety and, and uh, array of of seafood experience. You know that that of most anybody that I know of in the industry. So I've been very lucky to learn a lot, um, and it's really helped me in my in my career. So I started off as a, a f- uh, fish clerk uh, working for a wholesale retail outlet in Virginia. Uh, I didn't. I was tired of delivering the Washington Post. I did that for three years. I was always a go-getter. At like you know, twelve years old, I'm delivering the Washington Post, um, and then so I didn't want to do that anymore. So I, I found out I could work at a fish market. I was 14. I wasn't even old enough to legally work. I had to be 15 with a worker's permit with a parent signature to work. But they would hire you for two dollars an hour under the table, which was better money than two and a quarter with taxes taken out. So I started scrubbing, oh, there you go. <laughs> scrubbing dishes and, and seafood cases, you know, and, and meat cases for this little market. But so I was on the, on the wholesale retail side, and then throughout school I would do that kind of thing. And I tried to get out of it, so I went into the supermarket business, uh, trying to be an assistant store manager. And I got into the training program, and they saw my background. They're like, "Oh no, you need to go back in the seafood department because we're just starting seafood." So back in the early '80s. 
uh, supermarkets were just getting into seafood. I mean, uh, monkfish was getting popular. All this, you know, seafood was getting to be a, a kind of a cool thing, and all the supermarkets, you know, needed these seafood departments, and they started rebuilding them because they had them back in the '60s. They kind of went away in the '70s, and they started bringing them back in the '80s. And I was kind of part of that wave. Um, so I was a seafood clerk and a seafood manager for Safeway. Um, well, this is one of my unique experiences. I was the seafood manager for the George, the first seafood manager for the Georgetown Safeway. So this was uh, 1200 Wisconsin Avenue um, in, in Georgetown. And so the neat part about that was we built a really nice business very quickly. And I had um, a bunch of uh, embassies buying seafood from me. So I'm a, oh, I'm a cool. young pop just, you know, early in the seafood industry. And I got the French embassy saying, I need Rouget. And could you get me Rouget? And I'm like, of course I can get you Rouget. No problem. So then I call the phone, you know, the guys in Jessup. I'm like, what the hell is Rouget? You know, and I got to find out it's just a little red herring. And then, you know, somebody from the New Zealand embassy says, hey, I want fresh orange ruffy. And I said, well, I've heard of orange ruffy. And they're like, no, no, no. I don't want fresh orange ruffy. I can't have that frozen stuff. And so I had to research and find out how to get logistically to get orange ruffy. And so I'm, I'm the only person. I know of in the United States has ever had fresh orange ruffy you can wrap around your finger and it won't it won't crack because it was never frozen um, <laughs> but just a bunch of experiences like that and then another part of that was the building right next to my store was the headquarters for the National Marine Fisheries Service so I would have I, I would set this case up and I'd put all my fish out and these guys would come over, come over during lunch guys and gals and they'd come over during lunch and they always look and point and talk and, and you know one day I'm like well what are you looking at and they're like well that, that pompano is not pompano I'm like sure it is it says right here on the invoice it's pompano and they're like no that's not pompano and so they said bring it over you know come to my office and I'll tell you what it is so I, I come over in my apron smell like fish go to the, the basement of the National Marine Fisheries Service headquarters and this guy pulls out an FAO species identification list and I'm looking they're looking through the list and he goes no this is a, a, a blue runner and then every week right every week after that I kept getting these different fish so I think I found I had a Jack Creval I had a permit I had a look down I had different two different types of butterfish I had an Almaco Jack a Trevally and then I finally got a Pompadour so it took like, you know, two months and I kept calling the, you know, the people at the markets and saying, hey, this is not the stuff. So anyway, the, this whole thing of species uh, species substitution was always an issue and still is, uh, but it was bigger back then. And I, but part of it was I learned about all these different species that, you know, how many people have the chance to, to work with the National Marine Fisheries Service, you know, early in your career. So just some unique... Now, do you, do you think that was a, a result of just people not knowing and just thinking, okay, this this is a look down, but it, it looks like... This other species so maybe they just think that's what it is or do you think it was well this is what we caught so we're going to try to convince them that it's this what do you think yeah i think it's a combination so yeah. so like i was buying fish out of the jessup market and this is you know most cities have like a you know had a market where there was different you know fish markets all together um you know new york had it boston had it you know everybody has those kind of uh seafood market areas and jessup was the one for dc baltimore market mm -hmm. so some of the times i'm pretty sure those guys knew it was pompano knew it knew where it wasn't but then i think there was also times because sometimes you'd get like a box of pompano and they'd have like two permits and a butterfish and something else mixed in there right. just to try to make the 50 pounds in the box. So I think the fishermen were doing some of that as well. But I, but I know that the folks at some of the, the you know, the, the wholesale markets were doing it as well. Because you could get a better fish for 25 or 50 cents a pound and the pompano were two bucks a pound back then. Um, and, and one of the neat ones was 
was the uh, Almaco Jack, which is today the Cereola, right? So people, you know, that's yellowtail, right? So yellowtail is one of the most expensive farm fish there are. And they were actually substituted it for pompano. Back then, you could, you know, the wild ones you could get a lot cheaper. So it's just interesting how these things change. So anyway, a little bit more about my background. So I, I fairly quickly got promoted out of the stores, and I went into the uh, administration of supermarkets. So I was a specialist, and then I was a director of seafood for giant food stores in Pennsylvania. Um, and I set up my own warehouse program, which was kind of you know a unique thing there. And I, I put a USDC inspector into our warehouse, so I learned a lot about product inspections. Um, but then, but that's also I, actually back in the Safeway days is where I first learned about aquaculture, right? Because when I started, it was all wild fish. You know, back in the late 70s, it was all wild fish. I think uh, in, eight, in 81, only 9% of the seafood was farmed. Right, where today it's well over half of the seafood's farmed. Um, and the first ones that I experienced were like uh, farm salmon from Norway, mm -hmm. right? And then the, the Ecuador shrimp. So the farm salmon came in fresh, and I was used to these wild salmon, which would show up in the summertime. They'd come packed in a 50-pound box or a 100-pound crate. So the 50-pound boxes were uh, used chicken boxes or sometimes new chicken boxes. Um, and they were wax corrugated boxes, and it'd be 50 pounds of fish and ice. And boy, some of those salmon were just terrible quality. Really? Uh, you know, the Bristol Bay season back then, I don't think, it, you know, firstly, any of the boats used ice back then. Um, and I remember I would put my, I would grab, I grabbed a fish one time, and it, my thumb went right through the skin mm. uh, into the meat of the fish. It was just so poorly handled. And then, you know, so then somebody says, hey, I got this salmon. I'm like, well, they're out of season. You know, you don't have salmon. He goes, yeah, I do. So it was like October, November, or something like that. And so the styrofoam box shows up in the back of the truck. And I open the styrofoam box. And nobody used styrofoam back then. It was all wax corded boxes. And I open this box, and there's this beautiful, look, it looks like a rainbow trout, but it's not. It's just, it's a salmon. And it's like an Atlantic salmon. I'd never seen one before. Had this beautiful colored stripe down the side and I opened it up and all oh, the belly was firm and it had the gills were red the eyes were pop, pop, popping out I thought I just caught this rainbow trout that's what it looked like so then I like I got this funny smell so I put my nose into the belly of the fish and it smells like cucumber or like watermelon and I'm like holy crap this is the most freshest fish I've ever seen in my life so back then, you know, wild fish was much poor, poorer quality. Farm fish was much better quality. The same thing happened on shrimp. You know, the first time I got a box of five pound box of Ecuadorian shrimp, uh, Panaeus vanames, and we'd always, I'd always sold whites, browns, and pinks out of the Gulf of Mexico, mm -hmm. and there was a lot of black spot. You know, a lot of quality issues yeah. there. Um, short weights, just you name it, all kinds of things going on. And then these these shrimp show up, and they were perfect. Right, they were really well sized. Right, there wasn't all these different sizes. Yeah, we had a wild shrimp caught like that, and then you know they were shiny and they were translucent. You know, the meat was a little translucent. Um, again, it was a, it was it was an eye opener. And from that day on, I was always committed to doing as much farm raised seafood as I could because I thought that was one to take pressure off the wild fish. And then two, the, the quality was incredible. So once I got into buying you know, a couple of years later, I was you know always promoting, um, trying to find new sources of, of farm fish. You know, did, you know, if it's a new farm fish, I'm going to try it. So I was always one of the first ones to try the the new farm species out there. Did you um, find? And I'm no. sorry, sorry to interrupt, yeah. but did you find was this in the late '80s? I, I forgot the time frame, mm -hmm. roughly when you're okay. So. I, right. I I don't know what the perception of farm seafood was back in the late 80s. I mean, I kind of have an idea, but my, my question to you was, did you find it hard to market 
farm seafood in the late 80s, even though you, you're seeing it from a different perspective than the consumer sure. is because you're getting sure. it in fresh and you're seeing this quality. And I'm just curious if, if you found trying to move aquaculture or farm product difficult at all. No, it was, it was super easy. And so first of all, it was better quality. Two, we didn't have to market yeah. it as fresh or as, as farmed or wild. I was going to say right? the, so, the consumer and, probably didn't know or care. Back then, as much right, right, and, and 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 you know there was no regulations. Nobody was you know worried about it. You know the, the big lobbies that got involved in the mid nineties. Uh, you know the green lobbies uh, and also some of the Alaskan lobbies because they thought they were hurting the the, the, the pricing of, of wild salmon. And you know the pricing of wild salmon was a lot lower. I mean it was fifty cents a pound for a sockeye at, at one point, and, and probably two bucks for a, a good uh, farmed Atlantic. Uh, and, and they were definitely you know hurting hurting their hurting their pricing. But that but it was also because their quality was so poor and they were hurting themselves. Um, so it was kind of a combination. And then that then so those groups all got together with, with said, you know Senator Ted Stevens in the mid nineties. You know passed some things about uh, Colorado and salmon. Uh, started making you know getting pressure and, and this whole. Uh, you know, there was there's a lot of green groups that made money on on bashing farmed fish, and obviously they still do today. And that's where it all came about. But no, your your question is, I had no problem. I remember selling tilapia. I had fresh local tilapia. I was in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, working for Giant Carlisle, and we had fresh local tilapia. There was a farm on the Susquehanna River there, taking the warm water discharge off of one of the power plants, and they were growing tilapia year round. And they were coming into my warehouse, you know, with the gills still moving, um, and it was the best fish. And so we were we called it St. Peter's fish because that was the story behind it. And we, we put it in the stores, and it, it sold like crazy because it was the freshest thing we had in the case. Uh, and nobody even asked if, I mean, they said, we, we said, sure, they're farmed right here. They're local Pennsylvania. And people were like, wow, this is local. You know, so I had local trout. I had local uh, um, striped bass, and I had local tilapia. Um, and those were three of my best sellers because they were just the freshest fish in the case. And, and we did call them farms, but you know, most people didn't ask. It's a great question. So what what came next? Oh yeah, okay. So just and I'll just wrap it up fairly quick yeah, no on, on my background. Take your so time. I, I was at Ahol USA companies for like three for um, for almost twenty years, and I did uh, seafood in the DC market, Baltimore. I did it in the, the Pennsylvania. Try, try selling fish to Amish farmers in Lancaster. I mean, I learned a lot about merchandising and marketing by trying to sell fish in these different markets. So then I went to Bilo for a few years, part of Awful USA. So I learned about the southern species. I learned about marketing in the Carolinas, Tennessee. Uh, and then I went in charge of the corporate program, and they put me in charge of bakery. Don't ask me why, but I was in charge of bakery, and I was also in charge of building this perishable procurement organization. So I was helping design a procurement organization, not just for seafood, but for bakery, floral, uh, produce and meat. So I learned a whole lot about sourcing and stuff, which really helped me in my seafood career because I saw how other people did it, right? Other parts of the industry. So I really, you know, again, I just had the unique experiences you can't duplicate. And at that point, I was also in charge of marketing for seafood in the New England area as well as uh, the Mid uh, the, the Great Lakes area, which stores there, and we had stores in the South and Alabama. So I, I learned a ton. So from there, I ended up going to buy, uh, to HEB in Texas and worked in seafood and HEB. So I learned about marketing seafood on the on the border of Mexico um, and in Austin um, and these very different markets. And HEB is a wonderful company. I learned a ton about uh, seafood marketing and just marketing in general because it's such a such a well-run company. Um, and then, then uh, I guess the last 10 years, I've been on the sales side. I worked for a seafood, you know, small processor out of Boston doing fresh fish. I worked for a couple of years for Global Blue Technologies. What, what was the uh, processor in Boston? 
Oh, that was um, Sousa Seafood. Uh, Sousa was then acquired by uh, Peter Fish. So I got to work for it. So it's kind of, you know, again, my experiences are amazing. I got to work for a, a, a multinational um, company on the New York Stock Exchange. I also done for private companies in the supermarket business. I had, you know, I was, in, I was responsible for buying seafood and perishables for 1,600 stores for a $32 billion company. And then I go work for Mike Souza in Boston, and we're one little shop, and it's this, you know, little shop that he's been, you know, cutting fish for the last 20 years, uh, you know, buying off the boats, off the auction, and, and you know, selling to restaurants. And so I got to work for small companies, big companies, uh, you know, all over the country. Um, so I've had some real unique experiences. So then I went to, when I went to Texas, um, and I wanted to stay here because I met this really good girl. There's a really nice girl here in Texas, so I wanted to stay. I couldn't. I couldn't do all the supermarket stuff anymore. So I, I, I worked for Global Blue Technologies, and uh, we had RAS Shrimp Farm um, in in Rockport, Texas, and I did that for about two years uh, until the Hurricane Harvey wiped out the farm. And they're back. They're coming back, but now they're a different company. Seafood, uh, sea products. Um, I've drawn a blank on the name mm-hmm. of the company. I'm sorry. Yeah, no worries. Um, sea products development. And they do um, uh, post larvae and they do uh, brood stock. Because I was selling the shrimp for like two bucks a piece to the supermarkets. Well, the brood stocks they sell for $55 a piece. And they're like, well, when we rebuild this thing, let's just sell the $55 shrimp and we don't need Chuck anymore because we can sell these for $55. <laughs> so, uh, so then I went to, uh, I saw this company that was doing this technology for measuring fish quality. And I've always been a stickler about fish quality, seafood quality, and this device, this big clunky device they had that would measure fish quality using um, electricity. And like I said, I had a USDC inspector back in the day, and I learned a ton from my USDC inspector. And then we ended up moving on from that program, and I taught my inspectors everything the USDC inspector taught me. Uh, it was all about, you know, organoleptic examination, about sensory evaluation. You know, you smell the fish. You know, so organoleptic examination, right, is you use your five senses to to evaluate the quality of the product. And so you could see the product, you know, are the scales missing? Is the bloodline, you know, red or is it brown? Is it green? Um, is, you know, does it smell? What does it smell like? There's, there's over 20 different smells that a, that a piece of seafood will go through in, in its life, believe it or not. Um, so, you, you know, clamps, you know, do you tap them together? So, you, you know, do they sound hollow? So you would use all five senses, you know, when you're evaluating all your seafood products. Um, so I saw this device, which now in one second could measure quality of seafood, and it wouldn't replace some, a USDC inspector or a, a, a well-seasoned uh, sensory evaluation type person at seafood, uh, but it would be a nice tool, a really nice tool, to help them evaluate seafood quality in an objective way and fast. So. You know, when you do a proper USDC inspection of one product and you do it right, it's about 15 minutes to evaluate the product. You're supposed to put a grid on it to count the number of blemishes. You're supposed to take a piece, put it in a microwave, and cook it for 60 seconds and smell it and then taste it. Uh, there's, a, there's a whole evaluation process. Well, this device can do kind of the same thing in about a second or two seconds. Wow. So I was fascinated by the technology, and I've been with this startup company for the last five years. Um, and we've made some real strides in the last few years. And that company is Certified Quality Foods. Correct. And let's yes. let's talk about yeah, let's talk about them yeah. before we get into the Certified Quality Reader, which is the technology we're just talking about. Is what else the Certified Quality Foods? Do um, well. Start off as seafood analytics. The company started as seafood analytics. So this technology. Let me let me explain the technology first. Okay. Right. So this technology is actually not that new. The technology is called 
Bioelectrical Impedance Analysis, or BIA. And most people haven't heard of BIA, but most people have used a BIA device. So today, there are scales that you can stand on that have these little metal pads on them. It'll tell you your body mass index, your heart rate, things like that. They're also on like exercise bikes. So if you're on an exercise bike or a treadmill, you put your hands on those metal plates, and immediately or very quickly, it'll give you um, a heart rate. It'll give you body mass index, and body mass index you know includes water and fat and things like that. Yeah, so I used to use the in body, which is this amazing scale that you have to put your right. arms out and hold these these things, and the data it gives you is ridiculous what percentage of your body is muscle what mm-hmm. percentage is fat what's yep. how much you know water weight and all this stuff it's it's amazing you just stand on it for like yes. 30 seconds and it gives you all that information very cool exactly yeah the newer one is called renfo i think it's r-e-n-p-h-o um and it, in about three seconds it gives you all that data on the app on your phone wow and it, it gives me 20 different like 23 different parameters of my body and a lot of them i don't want to know yeah because it's <laughs> that's know, the problem with it <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's like six or seven of them. I'm always like in the red or yellow, so it's like uh, <laughs> sometimes it's, ignorance I mean, is bliss. <laughs> well, and I think that's the same thing with a certified quality reader. Sometimes people get data and, and numbers they don't necessarily want, but it's just, it's kind of a truth meter, just right. like my scale. It's a truth meter. It tells me that I overate during Christmas and New Year's, and what it's done to my you know my body mass index and to my uh, fat levels. Um, so yeah, it, it, it tells us. So so the technology has been around since the seventies. Right, and it's um, uh, it's ninety seven point three percent accurate for humans for measuring body mass index. And a human is a little more complicated. It'll send this signal from your hands to your feet, or from your hands to your other hands, and through your body. And the human body is much more complex than a fish. Mm-hmm. So most of the things that we're measuring using BIA, we're, we correlate like ninety eight, ninety nine percent. So it's it's very accurate technology. Nobody can really challenge the fact that this thing actually works. Um, and there were, there were some companies back in the 70s who started doing, you know, meters you know, with this technology. And ours is kind of similar, but uh, we've certainly advanced a lot. We had better electrodes. Uh, we have a far more advanced uh, app and uh, uh, dashboard system than those programs that, that were back in the 70s and 80s. And, and there was a few folks, that, you know, scientists mostly, researchers that were using BIA on seafood and meat and, and, and seafood uh, back in the day. And that's... Uh, but so anyway, around the year 2000, shortly thereafter, a fellow named Dr. Keith Cox, and he wasn't a doctor then, he was actually doing his, uh, his graduate work and his postdoc work, and he was trying to measure uh, the fat content of salmon as they ran up the river. So you know salmon, right? They, they go to the river and they stop feeding during that whole run, right? So he was measuring uh, king and chum salmon running up the Yukon River, which is one of the longest rivers in Alaska. Right, so it's like up, it's like over three thousand miles long. So you think Copper River salmon's nice, man? Those Yukons are just loaded with fat. So he wanted a non-invasive way to measure the fish as they ran up the river. So he had found other technologies where you have to, uh, you know, take the, you know, kill the fish, take it to a lab, and get all these, you know, proximate analysis and what's the fat content. So he wanted some other way to do it. So he looked at infrared spectrometry and some other different ways, and he found out that BIA he thought was the best way to measure body composition of fish. Um, you know, with without hurting them. So he took this, he found one of the devices that people were using on humans, and he put his own electrodes onto it 
um, and would push onto the salmon, and he noticed how the fish would lose their fat. And so one of the, so I know I'm getting off topic, but one of the fascinating things about his original work, <clears throat> so you got king salmon, and they would run the river, and he would measure them in two places. He'd measure them in the dorsal area, right, um, or the ventral area, uh, and then he'd use the ventral area. So so like the top of the fish, where it's all meat, mm -hmm. and then he did the bottom of the, area, the, bottom of the fish, where it's all belly. Right, and, and he noticed you know the scores were about the same when the fish were in the bay. Once they started running the river, those dorsal scores or those meat scores kept going down, 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 down. So the, the, and they were terrible scores by the time those fish were ready to spawn. But the ventral areas, those scores never changed. So the fish takes all of its energy and puts it into either the gonads or the eggs to protect them. So that fish, when it gets there, their belly is perfect, perfect condition of the belly, and the fish is falling apart. Um, you know, literally, they're they're humpbacked, their jaw, their jaws are hooked. You know, their their meat is mush. Um, they're almost like liquid sometimes. The meat's so soft, but that belly's perfect, and that was what he proved using BIA. So it's almost like the, if you're the, the birth. if you're out lost in the woods, trapped in the, the desert or whatever, your body's going to do everything that it can to revert that energy into protecting your organs that are going to keep your body functioning, right? So like you're cold, exactly. your your arms, legs going to get cold first because that that blood's going to flow into your your internal organs to keep them warm. And your body's going to start, you know, basically eating itself, eating, that, consuming that muscle, breaking down that muscle to keep the energy working for your vital organs. It's the same idea with these fish to get all the way back up. Because like you said, they're not getting any kind of energy on that journey because they're not eating. So that's, that's, that's cool. Like, I feel like a lot of people understand that, but now it's like, this is the facts. Here's the evidence of that actually happening. That's pretty neat. Dr. O'Laughlin, I love that. That is such a good analysis. I never thought of it that way. Well, thank you. I'm impressed. <laughs> So how did, um, wh where is it, where did it begin? Like, how did this prototype start with, um, with CQF and then how has it advanced since then? And then, and then we'll get into the nitty gritty of how you use it physically and mm -hmm. how, how people can get it and what it's used for and stuff like that. Gotcha. So, so Keith had done a, a number of studies on BIA measuring fish. And then he thought, you know, this could be a real opportunity to reduce, uh, to improve quality of fish and to reduce food waste. That was the two, kind of, you know, because everybody's got these, you know, everybody wants to be doing something good. They want to do something that's good for the environment, good for people, good for themselves. They feel good about themselves. Mm -hmm. So so Keith uh, really thought that this could be a commercial technology to, to measure health of fish, quality of fish, and, and actually help people reduce shrink uh, reduce food waste. And that was kind of, so there was real altru altruistic um, motives behind it. And the fact that, you know, it's still a startup, you know, 18 years later and Keith has hardly made any money on it. I would say it's very altruistic because, yeah. uh, uh, I mean, eventually we're going to make some money on this. But uh, he, so he, he said, I'm going to make this thing a commercial program. So for like five or so years, he was doing uh, two things. He was a, he was a professor uh, at different universities, and he worked for NOAA for a while. But at the same time, he was always in his garage tinkering and making this device better because um, mm -hmm. he didn't have enough money to, to be full-time in, in the company. Um, so he invented these um, compression electrodes. So instead of using needles or electrodes that were static, he invented these compression electrodes, which would, uh, you know, each, each there was four electrodes, right? And they would, they would push it down, and they would go different heights. But that way, it would form to whatever fish you had or whatever product you had. And you didn't damage the fish you still got a good electrical signal. So that was one of his first inventions. There's a, a couple of patents around this product, and that was one of the first ones. Um, and I guess it was, oh, 2016, 17, uh, they started getting more serious about this, got a little bit of investment money, um, and st started uh, promoting it more. Shortly thereafter, I came to work for him. 
And uh, we started promoting this product, and I started implementing it into supermarkets, into retail, uh, into retail outlets, into processors and such. And that's where we started learning, you know, what they needed, what they wanted, and how to uh, to make the device, you know, do what they needed. So. You know, right, early on, there was no dashboards, there was no reports, um, so you know, we learned a lot about what people wanted um, in this in this process. So it was it was late teens, you know, the 2000 teens that the company really started going. And then, you know, me, I'm a hands-on, you know, kind of guy, so I get in there and I measure fish with people, and it's like, well, you know, does this help you? And and you know, what do you need to make this work better? Well, if you had this report. Right, or if it could be broken out this way, or if the screen could say this, or if you could tell me if it was previously frozen. So I did a lot of hands-on work, and then I'd go back to our people and say, you know, this is great, and, and you know, there's some folks that like it, but to really make this thing useful and, and work well for people in the industry to help them make money, um, this is what we need to do. So we've spent the last four years fixing those things that people came up with. So I'm looking at it now. Sorry, I'm. I'm listening. I'm just looking at your website. <laughs> I'm looking at it now. I want to. I, I want to see. So, if anyone is having trouble kind of picturing what this thing looks like, so if you go to certifiedqualityfoods.com, scroll down a little bit. There's a a nice big image of it right there. I mean, it just looks like it's almost like a remote control that's been cut in half, and you see the four little uh, electrodes coming out. So when those don't move, right? Those aren't compressed. Those are those are like yeah, these are not compression electrodes. No, nope, those are static. Okay. Um. So the, so the device today. So we had a device. So this just came out this year. Mm-hmm. For the last four years, we've had a big device. The big device still had the four compression electrodes, but it was uh, like the size of a bread box. Right? It was okay. six pounds. That's pretty big. So yeah. it was still. It was kind of. It was kind of a handheld device. Um. It was you know certainly it was like a small. Uh, you know, stereo system, uh, but 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 it was still you know, somewhat portable, mm-hmm. um, and it was we, we would it would cost us several thousand dollars to make this. We were selling them for five thousand dollars. We tried different pricing programs. So uh, our CEO and, and our primary investors said, you know what? And this is one of my feedbacks: was this was just too expensive. You know, yes, there's researchers that can use this. Some companies, some big companies, will buy one. Mm-hmm. Um, but if but if we want to get this thing to the seafood clerks, to the seafood managers, to the chefs, uh, to all the different fishermen out there to use this to measure fish quality, we need to get it smaller. It's got to be waterproof, and it's got to be cheap. Mm-hmm. So we went from this five thousand dollar device, uh, and now we have this device which th- you can you can buy the device for under a hundred dollars. Um, and then there's a, a program that goes with it, but the, the actual cost of the device is down 80. Wow. Um, so you know, think, tell, tell me anything that's gone down in price over the last year, um, let alone gone down 80. percent Right. For real. So, so, so yeah, yeah. So now it's like the size of a deck of cards, maybe, maybe yeah. a little thicker, but about about that size, a little smaller, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's waterproof. It's got uh, food grade plastic, food grade uh, stainless steel. So it's great, you know, for handling and touching products and and measuring fish fish quality. Yep. So then, how does it work? So you you put it do you put it on a whole fish? Do you put it on a fillet? Can it do either of those? What is, so walk us through using it. At, like if you were a a chef or a, or a seafood clerk at a store, how would they use it? So, so the device itself, um, we, we, the old device we had had a little screen on a little LCD screen. It would give you some immediate feedback saying, here's your score and some other stuff. So this new device, in order to make it less expensive, um, doesn't have any LCD screens, nothing on it. It just has one button. It uses a AA battery. 
Uh, so you put a AA battery in, and then we think it's going to go for about six months, maybe a year on one AA battery. Nice. But since we've had this for less than six months, we don't know yet. All <laughs> of them are still working on the original battery. So we're, we're still figuring that out. <clears throat> the engineers told us that if you, pl if you click it 400 times a day, um, you know, you know about, about 10 months later, it's gonna, the battery is going to conk out. Mm -hmm. um, so you, you put a AA battery into it, you push it onto the fish, you touch the button, and if you get a good connection, you'll get a green light. If you didn't get a good connection, you'll get a red light. So the key is just put it, on, you can put it on whole fish, you can put it on fillets, you can put it on steaks, uh, you can really measure anything. Um, it, it doesn't work well on molluscan shellfish. So like, it, you know, it doesn't connect electricity. Yeah through the you know, shell of a, a clam or an oyster. Right, and on the inside, uh, there's probably not enough meat to really... Well, you can't. So, so if, you can, if you can relax an oyster to open up and you want to measure the meat, uh, and we have some folks that are doing that because they want to sex the oyster, they want to you know, check the health of the males or females or when they're spawning, you know, what, what, you know, what happens to them health-wise. And we do have some folks that are able to do that and they can measure the meat. Um, but that's a real kind of research kind yeah, of thing, right, right. Not, not something that's going to be <clears throat> used in industry. Um, but we do uh, shrimp very well. Uh, it goes through the shell of most shrimp. Uh, we're going to use on the underside of the shrimp you know, where the swimmerettes are. Yep. Um, I, sometimes I say the belly of the shrimp, but it's not the belly, you know, because the belly's in the head. The anthropomorphized belly. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I use I use you, you can sometimes measure where the swimmerettes are under the underside of the tail, um, and we doing scallops and some other products like that. So, you, so anyway, you put you take the device, you place it on there, you hit the button, and then you use an app. So when, before you actually do it, you're going to go to your app, you're going to open the app up, you're going to say I'm measuring salmon, and then it's going to say what kind of salmon? Atlantic fillet. Great. I got Atlantic fillet salmon. You press the button. Boom. You got a score. And we have the main number that people use is what's called the CQN, or the Certified Quality Number. And the higher the number is, the better the quality is. The lower the quality score is, the, the lower the quality is. So it's pretty simple to follow. And it shows up on your app. And so folks can do, uh, you know, they can figure out, okay, over time I've been measuring my salmon, and I know that salmons that are this score are... Uh, you know, good good product, and then the ones that are this score that are lower. Well, that's kind of like borderline stuff. I need to probably call the buyer and say, "Hey, you want to look at this? Do you know, do we really need this fish? Because it's you know, the shelf life is not going to be there." And then maybe a little bit lower score, they're like, "Oh, you know, it doesn't matter. We're going to reject this product." Right. Um, so th that's kind of how people will use it on the app. Uh, but then <clears throat> the real magic happens because it automatically uploads from the app to a dashboard. So you go to a, a link, right? We send you a link for your company, and you click on the link, and then you boom, up come these dashboards, and it'll tell you here's the quality of my salmon over the last year, and you can see how it goes. You know, uh, in the wintertime the quality goes up, in the summertime the quality goes down because there's you know temperature issues in the summer. Um, and if you want to look at you know Monday through Friday, Monday through you know Sunday, and you want to see which days are the best. Um, so people use it that way. They'll say, okay, over time, you know, what's my best quality salmon? And people are like, you know, because they're, they're not that people in the seafood industry lie, but seafood industry, people in the seafood industry do lie. So people will say, yeah, I get, I get fresh salmon flown in seven days a week. Right, so now they're using their CQR and they look at it and they're going, "Hey, I just noticed that from this supplier, my salmon's always better on Monday, and then it's not as good on Tuesday, it's not as good on Wednesday, and then oh, Thursday it's really good again, and then it goes down on Friday and Saturday." So then they went back to the supplier. They're like, "Well, no, you know, a lot of times you don't get seven days a week. A lot of times you get it twice a week, and it's like we get it on Sunday and Wednesday." And it's like, oh, well, that's that why my sense, fish is yeah. always better on Monday and Thursday. So we build these different reports. 
um, and people, you know, learn things about it. Uh, we, you can compare your suppliers. So of my salmon suppliers, which one has been giving me the best quality uh, over time? Um, we, then we can do other things, not just not just the CQN, the certified quality number. We can do things like fat or water. Mm -hmm. So um, most people do quality, but like in the area of scallops or shrimp or, or cod, some of the whitefish people are pumping with water. People want to know. You know, was my scallop pumped? You know, how much was it pumped? Um, and, you know, in the case of uh, fat, you know, for tuna or for salmon, some folks want to know how fatty is that tuna, how fatty is that salmon? And we can help them with, with those correlations as well. Have you seen a lot more interest in the product now that you've kind of made it smaller, more accessible, and also the price, is so, price point is so much lower? Have you seen yeah. more interest? And also, is this more of a... North America thing, or is it in other countries as well now? Wow, a couple, couple of great questions there, Maddie. So, um, yes, we've, we've always been international. Um, we, we've been selling the bigger units uh, into, I'd say, I don't know, 30 or 40% of the units probably go into the academic and research world. So we've got, I think, six or seven of the units, or well, probably more than that, but six or seven different universities in Australia are using it. Uh, we've got the product in uh, Africa, South Africa, Europe, uh, Asia. So I, I think we're in six continents. All over. Um, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we're not, we, we don't have a lot of penetration or, you know, as much as we could because the product has been very expensive and, and kind of clunky to use. So this new device we, we developed and we got the prototypes done early in 2022. Um, and I've got... Uh, well, we've got some 3D printed devices. The original ones we're doing are 3D printed. They're more expensive. They're made in the U.S. Um, and we're, we've got a number of those out in the market today. Our big batch, which is you know, hundreds, of, you know, almost 1,000 units coming in, um, and those are due in next week, actually. So we're pre-selling those. So we've, we've sold all the 3D printed ones. You know, I'm, I'm out. There's, there's folks in Bristol Bay and folks in Alaska measuring salmon, and that's where a lot of our 3D printed devices went. Um, but, and, and they want more, but I just don't have enough right now until the big batch comes. So we have parts coming from around the world. They're being uh, assembled in Cincinnati and then tested in Cincinnati, Ohio, and then we're going to distribute them uh, from the U.S., so it's a U.S. designed, U.S. Uh, assembled product with parts from the U.S. and from other other countries. You know, in China for something like like the chip just couldn't couldn't be competitive unless we got it out of China. Um, and then you know, with with all the you know, we wanted to have this thing out in April or May uh, in big quantities, and we just didn't have it yet because of you know supply chain issues. You know, there's one part that we just couldn't get, so that's why it's coming out next week. Um, so anyway, the interest has been tremendous. We've already pre-sold three times more than what we sold last year. Wow. So, um, Oh my gosh. Yeah, we got, we, got a, we got a pretty good chunk. We got 750 devices coming, and we got a pretty good chunk of those already sold. Um, so we're, we're going to be, you know, the Minister Director of Operations is going to be really busy in July <laughs> when, you know, several hundred devices are out there uh, cranking away. So I'll, I'll be getting my hands very dirty and very fishy over the next couple of months. That's good. That's what you love. So I, I'm a little bit, not confused, I guess, I just curious with the usage of it because you, do you choose what the species is, correct? Mm -hmm. So right. that means there's a limited number of products that you can test this on, right? 
Not really. No, I mean, it, it, it measures anything with cells, right? So we, we actually changed our name from certified from seafood analytics to certified quality foods. Right. And the reason being is that we can measure anything with cells, right? So if it's chicken, you know, live or, or dead, right? If it's beef, pork, poultry, produce, you know, mm -hmm. we can we can measure the, the sugar content, you know, in, in things that are ripening, you know, um, you know, fruits and stuff. And we can measure the degradation of different things. But, but in order, you know, like small companies, you can't try to do everything mm -hmm. right you really need to focus on where there's the most value right and we 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 believe there is well, we know that there's a lot of strength a lot of food waste in the seafood industry more so than other industries which are more um more established you know there's more and, and we're also just very uh segmented you know this the you know the, the beef pork industry the beef industry is primarily located in six states and there's four or five companies that you know have most of these plants you know so they're they're raising cattle in 20 states they go to six states to slaughter them they're coming out of six or seven companies it's a pretty established right. it's a really established uh supply chain so there's you know there's certainly opportunities to reduce waste and to do things in those supply chains but there's a lot more opportunity in this this fragmented world of seafood where seafood's coming from all over the place different days of the week different seasons um um, and you know the, the some of it's wild, some farm. You know the handling on the wild is still not what it could be in a lot of areas. So there's a lot of opportunity for reducing shrink, reducing food waste, and saving people money um, and improving their quality. So that's why we're focused on seafood right now. But it can it can measure anything. So just yeah, I get. Keep that in mind. I, I guess my my question is more: if someone uh, say someone in a certain region, you know, one of their biggest sellers is a species that may not be listed in the app are they able to kind of put in what species they're measuring so they can keep track of the, that progress over time or would they contact you guys and say hey you know i'm really you know we're one of our biggest sellers is xyz fish you know bronzino yeah, bronzino matt yeah. you know yeah. uh, justin fish is my, my biggest seller and it's not available in your app can we get that added in so um you know the, we can measure that quality as well like what is what is the process for that or do people just kind of like this is you know they type in what species they're doing and then that's what they measure over time yeah if you want to if you want to measure justin fish or maddie steaks you know or, or sean phillips yeah, absolutely we can measure anything that you want um the, <laughs> the um the, yeah we, so what, what happens uh, um, you can actually you can actually put in we have like a uh, test right we have like 10 different test ones so you can just do a test product so if we had a product if you didn't have a product listed you could always do it under test number two and you would know that's your Sean Fish or whatever it is okay, cool. um, but you'd also just contact us and we add it to the list and it's on there so we're we're developing this big list of products and that's one of our challenges as we grow is you know do we do we do it by species? You know, do we do it by genus and species because of all the species substitution? Mm -hmm. So, yes, it's Rod Bronzino, but then is it European sea bass, right? So, some people call it European sea bass, some people call it Bronzino. Um, and then right now I've got Bronzino with European sea bass in parentheses, but there's a lot of them where there's there's six different, you know, regional names. And again, we're global. So, if I'm, you know, using this product in Europe, my names are much different than they are in the United States. So, so we're going through that thing now is is, you know, do we put in, you know, Lucianus Capuchanus for a red snapper, 
and then the other 50 snappers out there, or do we have just a snapper? Um, so those are things, and we're working with industry, we're working with our folks to try to make it um, as easy to use as possible, because you don't want to have to scroll through 50 snappers to pick your snapper. Right, and that also right? brings so, in brings up the same yeah. issues that you used to face back when you were talking about like the look downs and the pompanos, right? Because you could say, okay, I'm measuring, right. I'm measuring all of my sea bass that are coming in, but are are they actually sea bass or are they just be? Are you just being told that they're sea bass fillets? You know, like that that gotcha. that's another issue that could come up. So yeah, that's an interesting kind of puzzle that you got to put together. Right. So, think, so what? Yeah. Um, yeah. Go ahead, Justin. I had two points, and I think one doesn't really require any uh, comments unless we got one. But I I think my perception really is you've transitioned an old technology and you've 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 made it more useful for the 21st century. But also now that you've moved into the digital space using handheld technologies, right? So now there's an app. Now there's a dashboard. It it gives you this creative freedom, I feel like, where all the things that Sean just talked about, you can get a research team together, you can look at how you, over time you simplify the dashboard, you make it easier to distinguish between similar species with different names. I think that's one of the beauties of technology really is that it allows us to, once you get in that space with the apps and the, and the dashboards, it all it takes is a development team to hear feedback and then just go in the back end and code and fine tune you know, it. We yeah. always say, uh, yeah, fine tune it. And that's just, I think, not that I'm a coder by any means, but I've, I've seen enough transitions from what a website looks like 10 years ago to what it looks like now. I mean, technology changes and then once you're already in it, it's just a matter of tweaking things here and there. So I think that's really great. And then my point too was just listening to the uses of this technology, the fact that it's global and what the benefits really are as this as this device gets more widely spread is it forces the industry to get better, right? So people, if you're able to test products and determine quality, it allows you to ask questions of why is it so good? Why is it mediocre? And it almost forces people, especially maybe some facilities that are pushing out product that's at that mediocre stage, they can look and say, they can test before they send it out and say, well, why is this happening? How do we get better? Or uh, a really fancy restaurant with a chef that's testing all of his products coming in. He's like, well, this is really great. This isn't that great. Why is that? How do we get better? And you know, it's just like this whole chain of events that, you know, as more of these devices are being used, it's forcing people to, you know, the purpose is to make money and to, and to move product. And if your product is falling behind, it's not going to move as quickly. So it's, it's, to me, this is a really, this is really interesting. This is really great, and I see this um, over time making the industry, seafood industry, or pork or uh, beef, all that stuff that you can test. It just forces you a little bit just to get better. Wow, those those are some great points, um, and, and I do have a comment or two on them because because you, 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 you bring up things that we've thought about and talked about and, and things we're working on. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, yeah, to think about what our app looks like today or or dashboards look like today versus a year ago or two, three years ago, amazing transformation. Uh, but you're right, you know, two years from now, three years from now, it's going to be far more advanced. So one of the things I want to touch on is what are, number one, it has to solve a problem. For this thing to be successful, thing to, to work, it's got to solve a problem and it's got to help people. So in some cases, we know what those problems are. Um, in some cases, we don't. We're, we're still learning where the value is in this product. And let me give you an analogy. So the guy who invented the laser, right, he obviously thought, I'm going to make billions on this thing because the defense industry is going to blow up things with lasers or whatever. But he didn't realize that he that, that there was been more money made on the laser with the cat toy than with any other, you know, 
And, and I guarantee you that's not what he was thinking about when he invented the cat toy or when he invented the laser. So the CQR, this, this whole BIA thing for measuring food, um, we don't know all the values. So as we've been working on this, we found out that we can determine fresh versus previously frozen. So people send me something and say, oh, that's fresh fish. It's like, well, is it fresh or was it previously frozen? Well, our device immediately can tell you if it was super, you know, if it was previously frozen. So that wasn't originally what Keith was thinking about, but that's right now one of the most valuable ways to use the tool. And I'll give you, I'll give you another one. So we sent this to a, a researcher in, uh, I think it was Kansas, and he was working on beef. Right? And it, was only, it was like, I don't know, a month and a half later, he's like, this is the greatest thing since sliced bread. And we're like, really? You already solved some massive problem in beef industry you know, in, in a month? And he's like, no, no. He goes, I'm a home brewer, and I never know you know, how much the, the fermentation is gone, and my, my, my beer is very inconsistent. This thing tells me exactly how much fermentation there is, and I kept my consistency of beer is perfect. He goes, you can sell this to all those home brewers. Um, wow. So it's just, and we never, we never thought of that. And, there's, and these things keep popping up. You know, but as a startup, you know, we want to focus on seafood and the things that work. So there are a couple side projects we're working on, um, but, but, but you know, our main focus is on helping the seafood industry utilize this technology to get better. And, we, and again, we don't know all the areas. So I'll bring up a new one is super chilling. Right. So the Norwegian salmon farmers and the folks out of, you know, anything, anybody who flies product, right, that you can't fly fresh fish with ice, right? The airlines won't let you do it. So you fly the fish in a styro box you know, with gel packs, right? But in order to do that, you want to get that fish as cold as possible. And people know that you can actually get below freezing and you don't actually damage the product. It's called super chilling. So once you put the fish, and the Norwegians are really good at it. So they'll take the fillets and they'll run them through a spiral uh, tunnel and they'll run them uh, to about minus one to minus one and a half Celsius or like 30 degrees uh, Fahrenheit. And some of the ice crystals, some of the, some of the ice, some of the free water in the product will start turning to ice or turn into just kind of like this, uh, it's like a gelatinous Like slushy, form. yeah. Uh, and, but it, yeah, it actually gets kind of slushy. But it's less than, you know, less than 30% or less than 50% of the product is actually turning to that slushy ice. And you don't get any of those ice crystals, which, you know, because when you, when you freeze something, these ice crystals are created. And then when you thaw, those ice crystals break the cells. And that's why you get all that weepage, you know, at the bottom of the box. Um, so if you super chill it, it's, you can, um, Get it down to you know minus one. You can ship it on a plane, and then it'll get there you know to Miami, you know from wherever, and you know go through warm tarmacs and, and non refrigeration and be okay. So our device is very sensitive to the super chilling as well. So we're working with a company right now on nailing down exactly you know the frequencies to use and the different uh, algorithms to use to correlate to super chilling. So right now we're getting you know we're getting product out of uh, we have people who are getting product out of Central and South America, and they are not. Not experts at super chilling, so they're taking their uh, mahi mahi, their uh, swordfish, and they're super chilling them, but they're freezing them a little bit, and it's much worse than freezing them in a in a good glass freezer or a tunnel. If you just if you just barely over super chill it, so we're helping people with that. So it's another way to to solve some issues. Second thing you talked about was forcing industry to get better. So yes, absolutely. As this is a truth meter, so as people see. You know, what's the quality of the fish coming in? What's the quality of the fish that I'm sending out? You know, was the fish previously frozen? Was it too super chilled and it got frozen? These things are all ways to help improve the industry, but it's also a threat to a lot of people. So there's definitely some folks, especially in the middle of the supply chain, who may be playing games by freezing product, by adding water to product, and this is going to 
you're going to see that. If this product's been soaked, um, this your water index is going to be way off, um, and your quality index is going to change when you freeze the product. So, so yeah, this this is absolutely a great way to help the industry get better because in order to get something better, you have to measure it, right? If you don't measure it, how do you improve it, right? So the first thing you do on any kind of problem is I want to, you know, I want to get unemployment better. Well, what's the unemployment rate? I don't know. Well, let's, 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 let's monitor what the unemployment rate is so we can focus on it. And anything you focus on almost immediately gets better. So the people that start using this device, even if they don't change any of their normal practices, just people looking at the quality of products, products are getting better because, oh, you know, wow, you know, I'm looking, they're looking at the product quality going out the door. They're looking at the product quality coming in. Customers will tell us, I haven't done anything, but my suppliers know that I'm using this device and I've been sending them reports, showing them what the scores are and the, the product's gotten better. Just, just by letting them know that I'm using the device. I wonder if there's so like an element sure. of psychological gamification to that, right? Where like they'll see like, oh, my buyer is sending me these numbers. These are the numbers that are coming in. I want to beat that number next week. I want to, you know, that right. I, I I'd like psychologically, if they're saying like, oh, I, that this is a, a score that I can improve, and so they're they're, they're just trying right. to get that next digit. You know, I wonder if there's if there's yeah. something uh, going on internally with that too. That's interesting. That's kind of cool. Yeah. See, Dr. Laughlin, you've come up with another one. That's another great <laughs> way to say it, a great analogy. This is the, I didn't realize I had such talent in the room here. This is great. Well, you know, we've done this almost 150 <laughs> times, so we're, we're starting to pick up on some <laughs> Got it. <laughs> Don't get his head too big. Yeah, right. I won't, won't, fit, in I won't fit in this little screen anymore. <laughs> well, Professor, Professor Cassidy has come up with some good ones too, so I'm, I'm going to share some, some of the love here. Um, <laughs> So, and the third one that you maybe think about is, uh, and this is where we think this can go, is people can sell their product for more. And this is where some of that altruistic you know, value comes. Uh, there's a lot of folks that are doing a great job handling their product, and they don't necessarily get the extra money. You know, because if, if, if you're selling salmon out of Alaska, and here's what the price of sockeye is, uh, it's, it's pretty much a commodity basis. And yes, if you pressure bleed the fish, you might get a little bonus or something. But there's a lot of small-scale fishermen that do a great job. So whether they're indigenous fishermen or just a small-scale fisherman who do a great job, and they just get lumped in with all the other fish. And you know, the folk, the, these other folks that may be doing bigger volumes and aren't handling the fish as well, and they're getting the same price. So if you can use this device to prove how much better yours is than the average Bristol Bay sockeye salmon, you know, instead of getting a dollar twenty-five for my whole sockeye salmon, I might get a dollar ninety-five for my sockeye salmon. Because because the Whole Foods of the world, the Wegmans, the HEBs of the world, those folks, they will absolutely pay more for a superior product. Um, and if you can prove to them I've got a superior quality quality product, um, they're gonna they're gonna pay for it because they know they got better shelf life, they have more customer satisfaction, they're gonna have less shrink. So that's really where we think this may go: is people start selling fish based on quality. You know, so you know, I could have, maybe I have three different Atlantic salmon in the case. You know, one's A, one's B, one's C. And you know, it's not just Norwegian versus Chilean versus Canadian. It's you know, here's my A, my B, my C based on quality, and the customer might pay more. I mean, that's potentially where some of these things could go. So when you brought that up, Justin, I was thinking of, you know, forcing industry to get better, and then where can this go? And, and we have a vision of, of people selling fish based on quality. Yeah, that's interesting. So we're getting a little bit 
short on time. Justin, Maddie, is there anything else that you guys want to make sure we touch on? Well, I was going to ask where like the future impact of what you see this might be, but you just answered that perfectly. Yeah, you kind of went over that. Yeah, and I think just to reiterate what you said, Chuck, I think there may be uses for this device that we don't even know about. When a brewer tells you, hey, this has made my product more consistent because now I can measure X. Who knows down the road where else this could go? Just like the laser in the in the the cat toy. It also works for for dogs, by the way. I have, I have a laser <laughs> oh, that my dog chases around. <laughs> that's cool. But no, Sean. Um, to your point, I don't, I don't have any anything else that that on the top of my head. All right. Well, Chuck, before we wrap up, is there anything else that you really, while you have the platform, what else do you want to get out there? I don't want to cut our conversation short because this is super cool and the product is amazingly useful and in, incredibly af- affordable which is one of the biggest biggest attributes to it, in my opinion. I mean, being able to, to get it out there in such capacity because it's so affordable is huge. But what what else do you really want to drive home with this before we wrap things up? Um, well, I think to touch on what just, Justin and Maddie just talked about is we really don't know where all the value is going to come from this. And I, and I bet you we don't know the most valuable areas yet. And we won't know until people get out there and start using it and getting the data and start saying, "Hey, can you can you do this report? Can you do that for me?" And then that you know, and then I think we'll start to learn some of those some of those things. So as this thing gets ubiquitous because it's cheap enough, and, and that's one of the keys to this thing working. Just you know, personally for us as a company to be to growing um, is to get it. We want this thing to be really inexpensive so that everyone can use it, and it becomes again ubiquitous, and everybody's you know measuring all kinds of food for quality, and it changes the way people buy and sell food. Um, so we really think it's got that kind of, uh, I don't know, just global, you know, just paradigm shift. Um, and then and, and so that, that, that gets into the data side. So I don't even want to touch on this. So Justin, you were talking about some of the behind the scenes stuff and, and, and the back end stuff. So we're doing a lot of work on the back end and, and such to, to make this a scalable product. Because if we get these things out there really cheap and not only commercial people using it, but consumers could use this. You know, can you go to your produce department and tell, you know, how much shelf life I've got left on my apples or or different parameters there? Uh, or can we, you know, can we become, you know, the Gas Buddy app, right? So, uh, you know, you're measuring. So I, I, I go to the store. Before I go to the store, I can go, I can, right now, I can, our app, you can go to our app and say, okay, who's got the freshest tuna in, in Corpus Christi, Texas? And you, you, it'll pop up and there's six different stores and has scores for their quality of tuna. And it could show you for the last year, for the last six months, and potentially at some point the last day. So I could see people going, okay, well, this store has the best tuna all the time, so that's going to be my tuna store. But, oh, look, you know, this company, look at the score they have on tuna today. They just Six people just measure tuna today and look at the score. Uh, and, you know, can we put prices in there like Gaspody does? So those are all things we're working on. So, Justin, I know yeah. your brain's already cranking on I can see it. And, we're, you know, so those are things we're going uh, towards and working towards. So we think there's, you know, huge capabilities here and huge potential to be a real game changer in the, in the marketplace. So then the last question is, how can people get it? How can they get in contact with you or anyone else at Certified Quality Foods? And what's the best way for them to implement this into their practices? So, yep, go to certifiedqualityfoods.com and you can contact us through there. You can also uh, email me at uh, C Anderson uh, with an S-O-N at certifiedqualityfoods.com. Um, and we're going to have, uh, I don't know if it's on there yet, but within the next week or two, you're going to be able to actually order it online uh, through a Shopify account. 
So it'll be as easy as ordering something through Amazon. There, um, there is a, a link on here that says reserve your CQR. Yeah. So that would Correct. probably yeah, for so pre-order. You reserve one now, but yeah, yeah. And then, so, and then the other thing we have is we have other stuff coming. We have a certification program coming. So if you want to use our CQR and actually high grade your product and say, yes, I'm selling my product. I can sell my product for more because I have the sticker. So you can actually get a part of a program and you can put a sticker on your box or print something on your box and say, this was certified quality foods certified and you can actually sell it for more. That's yeah. not quite ready yet, but it's it's coming. Um, and that's something you'll be able to do on the, on the website as well. Very cool. Yeah. My last, my last point, Sean, would be I could see a, a follow-up podcast with Chuck again in like a year or two, and then all yeah. these things that we've talked yeah. about, just to see the, how it's it, the, how it's uh, changed and yeah, w- where, yeah, exactly, yeah, for sure. You don't have to listen to my twenty minutes of old fishmonger days either. You could spend more time actually talking about the technology. <laughs> well, I've I've also taken a couple notes for other episodes that we could potentially have you on talking about marketing fish to different markets and cultures, et cetera, or evaluating seafood products in general. You know, you talked about all this, the sensory evaluation, stuff like that. I think taking a dive into that on how you actually evaluate different types of seafood products would be really fun. So maybe we'll have you back to talk about that kind of stuff too. But that'd be cool. That'd be cool. I love to love, I love to learn. I love to teach. Yeah. Well, we, we'd love to talk to you again. So I want to just say thank you. And I want to also give a shout out to James Wright, who's the uh, editor of the Advocate magazine, who connected me with Chuck. He, he gave, me a, gave me your contact info and said, you really got to talk to Chuck. He's the nicest guy on the planet and he's super smart and, and the, he's, you know, he can come on and talk about this product, which is super cool. So shout out to Jamie. Make sure that you guys check out the Advocate magazine and read all the content that he has on there because it is ridiculous how much <laughs> how much content is, is in the Advocate and it's all good stuff. So thank you to Jamie for that. And thank you, Chuck, for joining us. We really appreciate it. We appreciate what you're doing, and and this uh, we're really impressed by this technology. So thanks again. Well, thank you for the opportunity, and again, thank you to James Wright for connecting us. Uh, James yeah. is one of the more uh, impressive folks I've ever met in the seafood industry. So he is doing a great job, and thank you, Jamie, for connecting us. Yep. So we'll talk to you soon. Okay. Thanks, guys. Bye bye. Folks, that was our conversation with Chuck Anderson from Certified Quality Foods. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you learned something. I know I learned a ton. And I hope you will subscribe to Aquademia wherever you listen. Follow us on Twitter at AquademiaPod. If you want to contact us for any reason, locate our online form at globalseafood.org slash podcast. And finally, if you enjoyed this episode, if you want to hear more from us, then the thing that helps out our show the most is if you leave us a rating and review on your podcast platform of choice. That's right. Thank you so much for listening and we will talk to you next time. Ciao. Bye.